Welcome back to the Room 2250 podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Green. I'm joined by my co-host, Vlad. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good, Vlad. How are you doing? I am doing pretty good. That's good to hear. Today, we have a very special episode planned for you. Uh, This is the second year guide to CS. Last season, the previous hosts did the first year guide to CS, um, which is incredibly useful, and you should check that out if you are going into first year. But this is season four, and we are now on to the second year guide. We're going to be talking about second year courses, what to expect. Maybe for some of these, you can kind of start preparing if you're that kind of person. Personally, I'm opposed to that idea of preparing (laughs) for a course. It's like the course is meant to teach you. You shouldn't have to prepare for that. But, you know, some people, they get anxious and they they feel like uh, they could get a leg up and feel better about the year. And I think that's great. I know. I know I've been doing a lot of that over the past few weeks. I've been I've been looking at so many um, Reddit pages, Quirkus pages for resource materials, but uh, they're all they're all from like 2015, 2016. So it's not it's not that accurate. So I'm looking for like 2020, but yeah, I, I'm in that boat. Yeah, and by no means should anyone listening feel like they have to prepare for a course that is uh, needless intimidation you're going to learn anything you need to know in the course itself but i think um it's nice to talk about these things and you can kind of if anything this will just get you excited about second year something that i wasn't feeling at all going into a fully online year but we're uh, we're going back in person and so i feel like it's easier to get it excited about a topic when you're showing up to class and everyone's there together and you're all working hard to learn the stuff so hopefully we can kind of initiate that with this episode um so in terms of content we're going to be focusing on really just five courses and those are csc 236 263 207 209 and 258 um those are courses that I have all t- that I've taken. Um, I've taken all of them. There is also 240 and 265 that you can sign up for. 240 is an accelerated version of 236. 265 is an accelerated version of 263. I didn't take those. I don't think people should feel like they have to take those. I mean, I guess no. if you maybe you'll listen to. I guess people have already chosen their courses, which. Bad timing on our part, but maybe you'll listen to this and decide you want to move up because uh, we're going to talk about the base level and you be, might be like, oh, I know all that stuff. Right. Which good for you. <laughs> okay. And so why don't we kick things off by talking about 236. Um, this course, you can think of it a lot like an extension of 165. Um, I guess first year is... Going into second year now, you probably took the new version of that, which the course code escapes me. Vlad, maybe you can help me out. For, sorry, what, what, what was it exactly? Uh, with the new post rules, they're doing the two oh, first right. year courses, the theory so, course. So CSC 110 uh, is the full year course, and that's Foundations of CompSci, uh, number one. And CSC 111 is the half-year course, which is found Foundations of ComSci number two, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. 
Well, back in the good old days when post would emotionally crush you, <laughs> um, we took uh, 165, and I think that course is still offered. Um, I loved 165, to be honest. I did too. I had Although the, mid the midterms were iffy, but the problem sets were very fun. <laughs> I had uh, I had Danny Heap for that course, probably my my favorite prof to date, um, and the first midterm was was just cruising. It was amazing. Did so well on it, really? and then of course I was overconfident for the second one and just got absolutely wrecked. <laughs> um, yeah, I had I had Jonathan Jonathan Calver for one six five, and uh, I believe that was one of his. If I'm not mistaken, one of his first times teaching the course, so it was a little. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I he he was a very great prof, but uh, he 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 shared. He was expressing that he shared a lot of uh, his resources with David Liu, who was also teaching the course, uh, like in the second. So it was in the winter term. I believe Danny Heap was in the first term, correct? Yes, and I think David Liu actually wrote the course text for the that course notes. Right. So, which very are knowledgeable. very valuable if you, especially I was looking back to them even in CSC two three six believe it or not, for one six five course notes because some there were some like formal definitions and I'm like oh what is this again and then really helped me out. For sure. Anyways, moving on to uh, to two three six, um, really an extension of of one six five and. Uh, in 165, you start learning proofs in kind of the area of, of computation. And 236 is going to start off with a reminder of simple induction, uh, which you probably took first year calculus. You're sick of induction by now, but it's always nice to have a little refresher. <laughs> and then after that, the big topic that you move into is strong induction. And I think in the course notes for 165, there's a little blurb about strong induction that probably at the time you were like, this is dumb. <laughs> Why would I ever need this? Um, and you could probably say that about most inductive proofs, but <laughs> um, the idea with strong induction is that rather than uh, prove a base case and then assume K minus one and prove K, or rather assume K and prove k plus one whichever is easiest with strong induction you prove a base case and then assume for all n less than k and then prove k plus one um and so your assumption is based on a set of values less than some value k rather than one and i know you're thinking right. wait that would just make the proof harder and in most cases you'd be right um, but there's a few, uh, I, I, oh, sorry, what were we going to say? So, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but to be honest, strong induction, uh, I'd say for the most part, it works. Strong induction goes without like simple induction. Like you can prove any simple induction proof with a strong induction. proof. Actually, I would, I would say almost the reverse of that. Any... Anything that you think you need strong induction for, it can actually do be done with simple induction, but it's a lot harder. And I think that's one of the topics in in two three uh, two three six, where it's like you don't necessarily need strong induction, but it's sometimes easier. 
fair. All right. And I guess the reverse would technically be true. But but where? But I, I oh, oh sorry, go ahead. I, oh, it's okay. I keep cutting off. Um, where um, sometimes you could do every single simple induction proof with strong induction. Um, actually, sorry, maybe I shouldn't say that. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn. That's the thing with these theory courses. You got to be very, very specific with what you say, <laughs> because. Are you sure though? Because if you're assuming um, for all values less than or equal to k, if you're assuming that that set of base cases, then uh, you can just argue that okay, if you have one value, then you can just use strong induction to prove um, to prove k plus one. Yes, you can. My my point is that if I'm, like, there is no proof that can only there's no inductive proof that can only be done with strong induction it can always be done with simple induction the the, the okay, thing is that fair. it's just in some cases simple induction it's very very difficult to do um and it's easier just to assume for a set of values rather than one particular value um all right yep and so that's all very, very fascinating. Um, if you're a mathy computer person, I, uh, I've always been more a fan of the programming courses, and I think that's kind of a trend in CS. Um, you just, yeah. for a lot. Who needs math in CS? Come on. No, I'm kidding, obviously. That was well, a joke. Well, what you'll find in industry is that um, you're, you'll rarely use the math courses, but it's kind of nice to have that um, that reasoning behind all your decisions. It's like you'd probably write the same code without knowing this theory, but it's kind of nice to know why you're writing it that way. Um, anyways, the next uh, the next big topic, which you'll probably spend half the semester on, is uh, automata and formal languages. And so. The idea with automata or automata or however you pronounce it is, well, there's two types. There's deterministic finite state automata and um, there's non-deterministic. Actually, there's probably more types, but the two you're going to learn about are deterministic and non-deterministic. Um, and the idea is uh, you have an input, which is a string of characters. And this is an input, like a theoretical input. And you have a set of state or states and a transition function, which says when you process a character from that input string, how do I move from one state to the next state? And all that, when, you, when I just speak it to you, is kind of meaningless. But... What this allows you to do is that you will have some states which are called accepting states and other states which are just normal states, transitional states, or you could call them rejecting states if you wanted. Um, and so what you're doing with an automata is you're classifying sets of strings. Some strings will be processed into this and end in an accepting state of the, of the program or really you're going to think of it like a drawing in the course because that's how it's taught um and other and other strings will be in rejecting states and the set of strings that end up in accepting states are what this automata defines it's called a formal language um 
And the simplest way you can think about this is with A's and B's or ones and zeros. And so your input string is only two things. And for every state you have, if you process a one, you go to this state. If you process a zero, you go to this other state. And the state that you end up in could be the same state you started in for any, um, for any character processed. So it could loop onto itself or it could go to another state, which is uh, defined differently. And this is one of those things where I wish we had the ability to share drawings or something uh, through our podcast, but uh, you're just gonna have to kind of take my word for it. Um, the idea is that with just state and transitions, you can start classifying things and you can start um, defining sets of strings uh, with these automata. And that carries over for anyone that's done web programming. You've probably heard of regular expressions. You might use one uh, in practice to validate an email where like you're on a page and a user enters an email and you want to decide whether you're going to send that to the back end or not. And the way you do that would be with a regular expression where you have what looks like a string of characters that make no sense. Well, if you know, if you understand how regular expressions are formatted, they will make sense. They search yeah, it for searches patterns. for a pattern in that string and says, is there a little at symbol? Is there a dot com or a dot CA or a dot gov or whatever? Um, and that's how you classify whether this string is in the... Um, is in the formal language of emails. And you could do the same for passwords as well, where you might say a password has to be eight characters long, have an uppercase, a symbol, and a number. That could be conveyed in a, in a regular expression. That's essentially the same thing as a finite state automata. What you're doing is classifying formal languages. Now, in 236, the way you're gonna learn about regular expressions is not how they are written in code, um, it's essentially the mathematical notation for how you would do this, um, formally or in a proof or something. Um, you do, however, get into actual practical regular expressions in 207, which is, um, the title of that course escapes me essentially. Software design. Software design, yes. Uh, the focus is uh, object-oriented design or object-oriented programming with a focus on clean architecture and design patterns and the language that you're going to use is Java. And so if you take these two courses in conjunction, there'll be a bit of crossover. You'll be talking about regular expressions in one and regular expressions in the other. The exact notation of how you define those regular expressions is different. Um, but they certainly connect. And uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about 236. Maybe you have something to jump off of, Vlad. The, the only thing, what I, I really, I really like your, your explanation of what the course is about. Um, but one thing that I did want to mention, uh, th this, this relates to the prof that I've had, uh, Francois Pitt, he is by far one of the best profs that I have had at U of T. He explained things for CSE 2236 so clearly and so so precise, and he made it very engaging 
to actually learn the material. So if you have a chance, you should try and get with him. And I'm not saying none of the other profs are great. I'm sure they're great, but I really enjoyed Fr Francois's lectures. For sure. Yeah, I had Francois Pitt as well, and he's one of those guys that you can tell actually Loves likes his does. job. Um, not to not to call out any departments or anything, but there's, <laughs> there's some pro, uh, math profs, first year calculus, um, oh, really? that you could yeah. tell don't want to be there, which sure. is unfortunate. But um, in 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 second year, Francois Pitt. Um, yeah, you can tell he just cares a lot about what he's teaching, and he teaches with a lot of enthusiasm that even in online lectures, he'll keep you engaged the entire time. Um, can't recommend his course enough. Um, that brings us to 207 is what we're on to next, um, which is all about... It's a, it's, it's a good course. It's a course I struggled through and didn't come out with a fantastic mark. But oh, I have I have so much to say about this course. Well, actually, I can't say too much because I've had a lot of bad experiences. Or I wouldn't even say they were bad experiences, but very unhealthy habits were formed because of this course. <laughs> I I can kind of see where you're coming from, and a lot of that for me was the final project, which we'll get into. Yes. Um, yes. But the big idea with 207 is your like you might be coming out of 148 or the new equivalent being like yeah i, I understand object oriented programming through python it's like we we made classes and uh how wrong you are you'll you'll find out that like the level of object oriented programming that you get into in 148 is very minimal um in a lot of ways um 148 and 108 are like Python in a very imperative sense where you are, it's very functional in a way. And I hesitate to say functional because that brings to mind uh, like pure functional programming. Uh, it's not that in, in 148 and 108, but you are, you're, you're satisfying functions to complete a task um, and you get a program at the end that is very functional in nature and doesn't rely heavily on object-oriented design or, you know, clean architecture design patterns. And so the idea with 207 is that you're focusing heavily on clean architecture and design patterns. And really that what that comes down to is the the basic ideas of OOP taken to the extreme where they're used for everything. And it's not just, it's not just, you have a few classes that make up your program and work together. It's that everything is a class and that's what you'll find in Java, which might be a bit of an adjustment where your everything's a module and a module. It's like a class. Every single thing is a class. Um, and so you're trying to, combine these in a meaningful way to generate a program at the end which completes a task and if you're coming from a web background or a javascript framework background like react react native that sort of thing which has kind of taken over and i feel like a lot of people get introduced to cs through those um it's nothing like that and you might be like why why am i learning this why do i have to define all these classes and and think about 
this very weird abstract architecture when I can just, you know, build my backend with uh, with Node and use Express and and I'm just I'm handling data, sending it to a database. And not worry about who looks at it, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. The a lot of the big idea with with this clean architecture and design patterns is that people understand what you wrote and that it can be extended and built upon cleanly and you're not having to rewrite stuff ever. It's like you, you write it once and it lasts the life of the program through the entire program's life cycle of updates, extensions, continuations. And if you happen to land a job, like the, the thing that I would say where it applies to the real world most right now for what's being hired is a bit of mobile development. If you're doing Android Studio stuff or Swift, that's very in this object-oriented space. If you're building a backend, you might be using Java. That's certainly a possibility. But the big thing that I took away from this course, because you could ask me to name a design pattern and I probably couldn't, <laughs> um, the big thing I took away is how do you work on a big code base with like a somewhat large number of people. For my group on our final project, it was eight people, possibly nine, including myself. I don't exactly remember. Um, how do you how do you manage that? How do you work as a team um, developing code and, and using version control effectively to develop uh, to develop a program at the end? And even in terms of that, I would say it doesn't do enough. And I think there should be a bigger focus on that. And what I would say for people who are going into this course, try to learn a lot of Git stuff. They're, you're going to have the opportunity to use Git, but they're not really going to encourage you to use Git to its entire potential. I know for my final project, there was one branch. We just worked on the master branch and you'd push your commits to master. And if you were to go out and do that in industry, it's a very bad idea. Do not do that. Um, there wasn't enough emphasis. And it's like, well, it's even what you're going to get into if you're actually committing code for a company is you're opening a pull request on a separate branch. Someone reviews that, says it's okay, and then you merge it into master. What would happen on this project in my group I don't know if this is common for other groups, is that everyone just pushes to master and says, and then they would text in the group chat or whatever, hey, I just pushed my code. And there were a lot of times when it was broken. Um, and a lot of times that was because they hadn't updated their local repo to match the remote repo before pushing or there'd be, there'd just be so many issues and it'd be like, you'd have, you'd push something to master and it would be, in the master is supposed to be like the working version of the product and you build your branches off of that and you, you try to implement new features and then merge them in once you know that the feature is working and that's what the review process is all about so i would encourage you i don't know if this is even i don't remember my prof ever talking about this always do new work on a new branch and if I don't think they'll let you use GitHub um, 
for your version control on this part like you use git but you don't use github to host your repo it's hosted on marcus or on the marcus repo yeah however that is set up um but try to work on a new branch and i don't man i don't even know if you, they can do this though is the thing work on a work on a separate branch um push it and then merge that branch into master um, I'm not sure what the rules are, but maybe just at the very least look into this as you're working on the project so you understand what you should be doing um, for effective development. But, sorry, if you were going to jump in, Vlad. Yeah, yeah, no, what I was going to say is what you could do uh, with the permission of the course, uh, with the, the, pro the professors or instructors, you could ask them to... Uh, copy copy the project uh, push it or upload it onto github into a private repository and then work on there and then when it's time to upload on Marcus you just copy and paste your code into or not or push your code into the Marcus repository yeah what you might be able to do is set up your own repo on your own github account for this project and do all your work there and then push the GitHub repo to Marcus when you're ready to submit. Um, the issue with yeah, that um, is that your TA is looking at the Marcus repo to see who's done what and who's contributed what. You would just have to coordinate with the TA. Yeah. Oh, have to, that's... Don't do this without talking to anyone first because that would be a terrible idea. But coordinate with the TA and see if you can right. do this so you can actually get real experience um, in the review process and managing multiple branches, both locally and on a remote repository. Oh, that actually, Charlie, I think we could uh, tell tell the instructors instructors about this idea and then see if what they can do about it, or if if they can like update Marcus to to have this feature because GitHub has it, and I'm sure other re uh, repository managers have it. Yeah, I can't imagine in like further courses third year and fourth year that they're still doing the same thing for their like in um i think there's a fourth year course maybe third year for i think one of the assignments is you have to build an operating system i can't imagine them doing that just pushing t to master oh I, I i believe that's uh csc 369 is operating systems i'm taking that in the winter term However, um, I don't believe it's actually making an operating system, but you're adding several features to an existing code base uh, to make this code base work. Mm -hmm. At the very least, ask your prof, ask your TA um, about managing branches and doing code review. Because in, in my course, I think I had Jonathan Calver, he did talk about that a bit when towards the end of the course, uh, he talks about how to get experience and how to how to learn kind of the industry without getting a job, and that's working on GitHub projects. And so he does talk a bit about opening pull requests and, and following conventions on open source projects, but there is not nearly enough emphasis put on that, I don't think. Fair enough. Um, one thing that I did want to say on this before we move on, because I think this about wraps it up, but uh, make sure, or I guess two things, make sure you have good communication with your TAs and your teammates 
and the, the instructors because my team has faced through much adversity and if it wasn't for the uh, professors and instructors being very like positive and and they were open-minded about certain solutions to, to the situation that we were in uh, I don't think we would have gotten the mark that we would have gotten so make sure you have clear communication with everybody and make sure you're on a team that even through conflict you guys don't feel like you never want to see each other again because I felt that with a lot of t I'm not gonna mention any names but a lot that that I just of I course, yeah. I, w I wasn't happy with with my situation the situation that I was in. Yeah, I would say when you they're gonna get they'll probably let you choose your own teams for the project. I would say really ask yourself: Do you want to be working on a massive project that affects a huge portion of your mark? Do you want to be working on that with your friends? Because um, they <laughs> can go bad for sure. I was lucky enough to work with people that I didn't know, and by the end we had became a lot closer, um, and that was really nice. It was a rewarding experience. But I know some people they'll work with their friends, or you know, those kind of people that you meet in class that are right on the edge of being your friend and right on the edge of being an acquaintance, um, and then you come out being like this person is just an asshole and just kind of fucked over our entire project. Don't do that. Try to find people that you know work well um, and people that are, are compatible with your personality. Um, and that's, I guess that's all we have to say about 207. Try to get the most out of it as you can. And that brings us to semester two. Again, this is, sorry, this is just kind of a framework. I would say do a theory course and a coding course in one semester and then second semester do the same thing. Um, following that structure, uh, we're going on to 263, which is data structures and analysis. And this course should really be called how to pass the technical interview, because it is hugely important for that. You will be asked about algorithms, data structures, complexity, all that stuff if you're interviewing for a software development internship. Um, so but, in this, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Uh, Charlie, will, will this, will this course make me throw out cracking the coding interview or should <laughs> I keep it? Uh, did you pay for it? Yes. That's, that's a mistake, bro. You just hop on leet code and hit as many, <laughs> as many problems as you no, can. No, you're right. You're right. I still look at leet code. Yeah. Which, I mean, leet code is good for a 10 minute period in your life where someone asks you a question like solve this <laughs> build this algorithm that does this and then right. you'll probably never really need leak code again well i mean you'll need it <laughs> if you want to practice for your next interview or whatever but in sure. terms of when you're actually working all those problems aren't really that applicable um anyways so what you're going to learn in this course all about data structures you're going to there's a big focus on uh complexity analysis uh going back to big o omega theta all the stuff you did in 165 or the new equivalent and you get into in this course recursive algorithms which they might actually touch on in 236 as well but they're they do a bit more of that in 263 
And really for most of the course, it's, it's data structures though. Um, and so this baby, it's, it's really interesting to see how you can, there'll be one particular problem that you're trying to solve, uh, some criteria that you have to meet and the instructor and the instructors will take you through a number of different data structures that can get that job done. Or, um, they'll, I believe they're called abstract data types, essentially you have certain criteria that you need to be met by a by a data type and you have various implementations that can get that done in different ways um, so you'll start talking about um, abstract data types and the data structures that can implement those and one of the big ones well actually one of the ones that you'll start with is a priority queue which is essentially a normal queue um, except Rather than following the first in, first out principle that you're used to from 148, you learned all about that, uh, items can be added to the queue and removed according to their priority. And so the idea is, how do you find which is the highest priority in a very effective way? And how do you manage priority among the items in that, uh, in that queue? And the, the big idea that you'll learn about that is, is a heap. And I won't go too much into this, but the idea is that you manage these in a tree-like structure and you have algorithms for rearranging that tree when you remove an item from it and when you add an item to it. And as you're doing these uh, explorations into these different data structures that implement an abstract data type, you will find that some perform better than others. You're going to be doing analysis on these the entire time. Um, and so you show up to an interview and they ask you how to solve a particular problem. You're going to say, okay, this meets, I can use this abstract data type to solve this problem, but what implementation do I use? And then you decide which is the, which is the least complex of the possible implementations which isn't always easy because the problem can have certain caveats. Hugely important, pay a lot of attention to everything because... Sounds like a puzzle. and I've never taken the course. It sounds, like, it sounds like very, very interesting and something that I'm looking forward to. It's, yeah, it can be. Some of the problem sets where they'll be like... Um, they'll want you to uh, design a data structure that supports kind of an extension of a common abstract data type, something that they'll add a certain element that means you can't use this common implementation. You have to come up with a new one that might use a combination of implementations. And so it's very much puzzle solving. And that's what, um, that's what interviewers like to throw at you. Um, and so, yeah, pay attention, think about you can really apply it to any problem, any coding problem, especially on leak code. If you're if you're into solving leak code problems, you can always look at that and think back to your two six three lessons and decide how to solve those problems in the most um, efficient way in terms of time complexity. Super interesting course if you're kind of the puzzle oriented type of person. Um, I'd say. 
in all of second year, I got the most out of this course. Um, the breadth first search and depth first search sections in particular, I swear until the end of time, interviewers will ask some sort of breadth first search, depth first search question. And this will give you all the background on that that you need. You'll look at um, pseudocode implementations of these data structures or algorithms. And um, so essentially you should be looking at those and thinking, okay, how do I write this in Python? And a lot of times they show you the Python version because it's basically pseudocode. Um, and keep those, keep those implementations around, keep them in a folder somewhere on your computer, because you'll probably get asked a question on an, on an interview where you have to pull those out. Well, I mean, I, I don't think you could pull it out in the middle of the interview, but having it around so that you know it, um, definitely useful. Wow. I'm very much looking forward to it being in person. Yeah. I mean... I think it's hard to get excited about the, the uh, theory side of things, but this course makes that very easy. Who did you have as a professor? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, damn it. I, I couldn't answer that for you right now. Um, That's okay. The, the, the course content was just so overwhelming that it was just, it just, um, it was just so amazing that I wasn't paying attention to the prof, I guess. <laughs> it's like you, like the content was, was, uh, disassociated from the professor. Yeah. I think, I think, um, no, I, I could never come up with the name. It's, it's gone from my memory now. As <laughs> That's is, all right. It a, happens. A lot of stuff from second year kind of escaped me. Um, but the, the thing you're going to need is recognize what's important and hold on to that and i would say the content in 263 is very important hold on to that um and keep it in your head and the nice thing about this course there's almost no proofs you're very rarely proving things oh really yeah and so you, I... it's a lot of exploration for a lot of the problem sets it wasn't it there were some small inductive proofs maybe Mostly it was kind of explanation based. And again, that's lending itself to the, um, the interview side of things where your, right. your focus is explaining. Oh, okay. Um, I see. Yeah. And that, that's, that's perfect. Cause you, it's like with a proof, a lot of times you, you'll be like, man, this could be completely wrong or completely right. But with explanation, there's I feel like there's a bit more wiggle room in terms of getting part marks. Um, so look forward to that, and uh, it's a very it's a very good course. All right, now we're gonna move into CSC two hundred nine. This course is software tools and systems programming. Very 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 interesting. Um, Charlie, I don't know if you have anything to say about it. Uh, brace yourself i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i have in my notes i'm like yo be, be prepared because it is very different from from what you're used to yeah so you kind of leave object-oriented uh ideas behind and you're just getting getting into c which is a challenge on its own learning uh how to deal with pointers how to uh like 
pass information into a function such that it can be used outside of that function and you do that with pointers and then eventually you'll get into function pointers where you can pass functions as well 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 it gets we insane can't, can't lead them into that we got we got to go step by step well i so, figure um, i figure you can kind of assume you're going to be talking you, you go through the ba basic data types and stuff and then the first shock will be pointers and, yep. and then and then it's uh, pointers, pointers to pointers. pointers yeah and then pointers to pointers to pointers which you don't really deal with but uh it's mainly pointers and pointers to pointers um actually very interesting but uh thing between pointers and strings because it, a char is like one character but a char a pointer to a char is actually a string so it's it's really cool um yeah well that's I guess that's technically true. There's a lot of ways you could phrase that, but well, well, so, to correct me, because I'm I, I believe I'm that's the way to say it. I mean, because a pointer to a char could also just be a pointer to a character, but I guess that would just be a string of length one, and we're just getting into semantics, and I guess it doesn't really matter anyways. No, you're right. You're right in that in that sense. But if if it the correct way to have a of a, a string of multiple characters. Is to have a point a pointer. Yeah. Well, yeah, they'll explain yeah. everything in the course. We're not your profs, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. And but be pre be prepared for uh, pointers and pointers and pointers. However, there are a few things that I do want to get out there so that way you guys do get prepared for it. And uh, some of those include structs. And this um, this was new to me. So correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie. But a struct is in essentially an object that can hold multiple elements to it if that's the best way to say it yeah you got to be careful with the term object for people coming from like a javascript background that would be pretty accurate uh, but not the um object oriented sense of an object per se no you're right you're right yes from an object oriented uh perspective it, that wouldn't quite line up so um I'd say it's more of a, gosh, what's a group of common elements. I'd say that's the best way to form a struct. Like for instance, you could have a person and then within that person, you can have a, you can store a student ID and uh, their birthday. Yeah. I mean, and it's like a, a dictionary in Python would be. That's exactly what I'm thinking about. Yes. Yeah. A dictionary. Yeah. Um, so get used to that. Uh, or not not necessarily get used to it, but uh, make sure. Um, yeah, that'll kind you, of be in place of your objects, right? It's like you're not defining sure. a class. You might have a struct. And um, those will become more important when you're doing um, web sockets. That's kind of the final topic in the course is setting up a basic um, yes, server you, system. Yes, you do deal with uh structs with regards to that um and it can get confusing for sure but you, yeah it's important to kind of remove yourself from getting bogged down in the c stuff and and think of it the way you would traditionally think of it which at the end of the course you're not going to you're not going to think of anything the way you used to think of it you're gonna, it's all going to be like uh comparing it to c because c is the base but um right yeah, it's it it definitely gets tricky with with that. The the thing I found the hardest is debugging on assignments 
where you'll get just I, segmentation fault, and it's like, oh, that's <laughs> so helpful. That's so helpful. I, cu- I couldn't get I couldn't get the hang of GDB. Like it was it was clear in the tutorials where they would explain how to use it, but I'm still trying to find myself because I'm prepping for CSC two five eight, which is the next course that I'm going to get into. Um, but uh, before I do that. Oh, you won't um, need you I'm won't also, need any GDB for that. Don't worry. No, 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 no. But I'm uh, I'm just like going through a lot of C as well because I'm also prepping for CSC three six nine and and just getting myself back used to C programming. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely need to touch touch back on uh, GDB because that that is something that um, I've had difficulties with in the course. Um, but aside aside from uh, debugging, uh, actually. I don't know if you have anything else to say about debugging or anything within C that's kind of different than, than how you would normally debug in Java or Python. Yeah, I mean, just... I, I honestly don't have any advice. Uh, I did pretty bad on all the assignments, and I think that's kind of the nature of the course, um, where it's it's not as clear-cut for you as it would be in, in the previous course uh courses like 148 the assignments are very structured and you know if you're doing things right but in yeah i in 209 it can be like well it the the the, uh the program outputted a number that's a good sign (laughs) (laughs) um for those of you that don't know uh the assignments were heavily based on um machine learning programs and uh basically trying to well, um, I wouldn't say machine well, I learning. Even, I, yeah, I, I was about to rephrase. I wouldn't say machine learning. I guess like I would um, say... what you would call AI before neural nets were a thing. Yes, sure. But uh, it, it definitely had to do with um, some sort of image recognition. Or uh, not not image recognition. What what is, what is the file format that we used? I guess it was, well, a form of images. But it was like uh, essentially the goal was to classify... Um, to classify handwritten, hand, hand-drawn, yeah. handwritten numbers. numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, was... that leads me into another point, which is binary files. You are going to be dealing with a lot of binary files. Um, for those of you that don't know what binary is, it's just zero and ones. And basically... I can't imagine anyone's gotten to this point without knowing <laughs> what binary is. But, yeah, it's... Um... It's tricky, but I mean, it doesn't. It's not so bad because they'll they'll say, "All right, the first four bytes of this file contain this information. Right. The next 128 bytes contain this mm-hmm. information." So it, they make it pretty nice for you just to read in uh, a file through standard in and, and split it up into the right. data you want. And they, they they do teach you which uh, which specific um, uh, what's the uh, system system calls to. Are they system calls or are they library calls? Uh, like fprintf or fscanf. Those are... Um, um, I'm pretty sure... Sys- well, uh, li- don't ask me. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they give you all the, all the stuff they you give need. You, yes, and, they um, tell you what to use in order to read binary files. Because it's not as straightforward as you might think. Like uh, you, you wouldn't use... Um, like for instance, I'm getting too technical, but you wouldn't use printf in order to print out... Um, some sort of binary code you would use fprintf which takes a file input stream and a whole bunch of parameters that you need to put into it 
but they teach you all of this so you don't have to panic when you say, oh, bind- I've never dealt with binary files. How the heck am I going to do this? Yeah. But, Just, um, you know, keep track of know how many um, how many bytes yeah. make up each data type. So, like, let's say your binary file represents numbers. Um, you know how many bytes a single uh, hmm. number is. Right. So, so integer, rather. An integer... Um, um, that's four I bytes. I want to say four. A char, yeah, four a char is one. A pointer is eight. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyways, and then uh, the other big topic, actually, I think you'll spend a huge portion of the course on this, is uh, processes mm-hmm. and how you can get two processes running at the same time to talk to each other and, is, and share information. This was very interesting to me and part of the reason why I wanted to take uh, CSC 369 because forking and making uh, making like so you have a parent pros pro, pros whoa process and then you 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 call fork on it which is a essentially a method to uh, create multiple child processes of that parent process to complete a task and then you use that in some assignments so that way you can like add up the information from the child processes with the parent process to achieve some answer. I think that was like what it was, but it, it was very interesting how the program w- was running. And um, yeah. yeah, it's very much like a puzzle trying to right. work out because when you call fork, it's essentially running the same code with different, um, call, I'll call them parameters. Sure. Yeah. yeah that makes so sense. You, yeah. You have to like run the same code with different conditions and set up your conditionals in such a way that, when you run the same code in a new process, it uh, executes differently. And that's um, essentially the entire point of, of creating multiple processes. Right. Um, I found that just endlessly frustrating. Um, I found it frustrating for some of the tutorials where they were um, mentioning, like, it, it was one, it, so you basically had one parent process create like five child process processes and then like have those five child processes like respond back to the parent process and like return something. It was just very, it was very complicated because it was so new to me. I was like, whoa, never done The one that got me, there's um, a question either on a tutorial, it might have been on the exam as well, where you have... Um, a bit of code that's calling fork in different places Mm -hmm. and each there's certain conditionals for what gets uh printed and they say which of the orders of these um print statements are impossible according to the code shown oh and it's like like you might it might the theme might be like fruits and it's it's printing different fruits and it's like which order is impossible to happen based on how the code is written and it's it's like you have to trace through all the all the child processes and figure out how because you might not necessarily know exactly which order that the child processes are going to print at but you can determine which orders are certainly impossible and that was always like that was this I think it was a recurring question that came up um, probably on a, on a tutorial and then on the exam, but that's the kind of like you got to, it's like trying to figure out that question is like running multiple processes in your brain at the same time. 
Um, So definitely interesting, but a headache. (laughs) Um, To me, yeah, I've always had like with with when it came to processors, and um, then another topic you're going to be talking about pipes and signals and not signals uh, sockets um, in the course. I've always dealt with it like it was a big puzzle. To be honest, because uh, I, I, I find problem solving just like puzzle solving, and then it's just it becomes very fun to me. Although although the course like an online delivery of the course wasn't the best for me, I I still found the the content like enjoyable. But um, aside from all the technicals, I did want to mention that both Karen Karen Reed and Nathan I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I don't want to butcher it. But they are both excellent profs if you get them for CSC 209 um they they, yeah, they teach ask, the... um sorry ask karen reed about the uh fork joke she'll know what it means <laughs> that's, that's i don't one. even know what this means it's like she, she has this like no 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 save it, save ten... it for them save it for i'm not gonna say what the joke is but it's like a 10 minute long setup and the payoff is so worth it <laughs> <laughs> The punchline is just perfect. I have to watch like old lecture videos in order to find that out. Um, but aside from that, there is a textbook. I don't know if I like if if, if it's going to change, but the one that was used for last year is called C Programming: A Modern Approach by K N King. So, if anyone's interested in like getting pre- prepared for the course, that is a textbook name. Uh, but aside from that, I, I find it, sorry, I find it funny. They call it a modern approach when that textbook <laughs> yeah. was probably written in like the nineties. Right. They, they really, but like, some courses need hmm. to update their, what textbooks they use and, and what information. Well, I mean, they, with C, it hasn't really changed, so it's not. No, a but deal. the, the examples in the textbook might be a little more irrelevant. Yeah, yeah that's true for sure. But, um, uh, but I would say also read uh, read the man pages. Oh, yes. Man um, pages become very useful, which are essentially just um, wiki guys on to d- how to do so. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're like a full descriptive um, detailing about every single system and library call that's within. Um, although I guess we never explained any um, any Linux to them. You're going to be using some, some uh, Unix codes. Um, like commands rather unix commands yes sorry um a lot of signaling but i don't i don't want to i don't want this to be like a lecture where we detail everything that's in the course but just be prepared for a lot of stuff the most important thing most important thing you can take away is um kill nine which is kill space (laughs) dash nine and then um the process id right Keep keep that on lock because there's been times. Also keep uh, keep in mind if on if you're running, you know, from Mac terminal, uh, the top command. If you type top, it'll show you every process that's running, sorted by CPU usage, because it's very easy if you're doing development to forget about processes running on your computer. And next thing you know, you have like a bunch of the same pro or the same code running multiple processes. Right. And you have to go through and kill them. So kill nine, and then the process ID will kill these processes. That's free actually, up space on your CPU. Keep that, that keep that in mind. That's a good point because I I got an email from uh, Professor Reed at like 
some odd hour in the night because she was probably marking work or whatever and she's like hey make sure to like kill all your processes i'm like oh i didn't even know i had them running yeah especially if you're using if you're sshing into um wolf kill your processes before you leave it's just um it's nice to everyone else <laughs> yeah because it frees up space for them to use if yeah. that ever becomes a case yeah um, Anyways, I think we can move on to 258. Sure. Yeah, that's that um, sounds about right. This is 250 CSC 258 computer organization. Um, personally, I haven't taken the course. However, I know Charlie has, so me and him will be trying to discuss as best we can what this course is all about. Um, I don't know if you have anything first to say. I can tell you for sure I did not learn how to how to uh, organize a computer. My <laughs> computer very disorganized. My, my folder system is just a mess. But um, I think this is uh, exactly the kind of course that would be super interesting if I had learned it in person um, and actually gotten to work with some hardware. Right. But yeah, because you, know, you you like in the, in the winter. In the winter term, it was more like virtual hardware, right? Yeah, so we used uh, a program called Logism, which um, any ambitious Java programmers out there, you could probably write a better version than, than the open source <laughs> that's available. It was clunky and hard to use. Um, but essentially what you're doing is you're building... They start from very small at the transistor level and, and build up to the point where you have a uh, processor that you can run um, assembly, code you know, on. Base assembly code on. Yeah, that's that's kind of the end goal. Um, but you start at the transistor level um, and you use a transistor to build uh, logic gates, you know, your classic uh, or and nor I, I i really want to learn like what that actually entails because that's something that i've been hearing a lot about like especially with my electrical engineering friends they were like oh logic gates these are um something i deal with like on the regular and i'm like oh i wonder what these are but uh yeah yeah it's kind of interesting that you can just use transistors to build these logic gates um and then beyond that, you start taking these gates and you build memory devices um, through this process called, uh, essentially use what's called a flip-flop, where you're taking output from a logic gate and feeding it back into itself. And so you get uh, a flip-flop that can essentially remember the last output of it that was put into it. And once you can do that, you can start building more complicated memory models wow um, so so how does how does that work so it, it takes the output from from the um from, from the logic you take and feeds now, it back into itself but isn't the logic a lot of this gets um you you learn it once and then it's abstracted away and you never have to worry about it again in the course <laughs> so i couldn't break it down for you exactly but you take Ah, uh, geez, for a flip-flop, I think you take two XOR gates and you feed the outputs into each other, crisscrossed. Honestly, man, it's 
Well, yeah, uh, it's not your job to the, teach. The spe- it, so. Yeah, <laughs> the specifics aren't important. the 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 idea is you start from basic transistors. It goes to logic gates, and then from there, memory. And then you'll also one of the coolest things was making a seven segment display. You know the kind of uh, numbers that appear on a on a digital clock, where it's just uh, seven bars that make up every every number. Um, you build a a little logism circuit uh, so that um, you can feed in a binary number between um, zero and eight. Or sorry, yeah, I think I think you you make eventually you make it uh, handle hex numbers, so you go up to sixteen, um, which would be four bits. Um, and you have to conditionally, I guess, in quotes, render uh, the proper bars on the seven-segment display to display the binary number that goes in, and you do it all with logic gates. Um, and so what you use are these things called Karnaugh maps to work out which combinations of ors and ands and xors and uh, all that you combine them together to display the number that's inputted in binary, um, which was probably my favorite point in the course, and it happened like like maybe two or three weeks in. <laughs> um, but I found it very interesting that you could do that with, uh, with just building logic gates. And then you kind of, the way logism works is you'll you'll build a circuit, and then you can, it'll have a bunch of logic gates inside of it, and then you can use that circuit and kind of abstract away all the details that are inside that circuit, and it just shows a box on the screen. Um, and so you you can start building things bigger and bigger, um, very similar to a Java program, um, just at a lower level. And it's funny to see those kind of, um, what would you call that, like a theme of, of structuring information. It's essentially a tree, really. Um, and you're, yeah. And so after you get the seven segment display, you, uh, the good thing about this course is that it, the course builds on itself. So it's like, um, you build a seven segment display at the start and you use it for other parts of when, as you're building more and more complex, um, components at one point, you'll build like a basic calculator to do adding subtraction multiplication. Nice. Oh, that I did not know. I I didn't I didn't know that it like all these projects like build them on themselves and you use previous projects to to do different. That's actually like something I really like out of a course, and I'm very excited to see how it, how it does that. Um, one thing that I did want to ask you about, and this is like, I know this is in the end of the course where you learn about like assembly language, but. Uh, how any thoughts on like the final project and what tips you can give like students? Um, Cause I, I, I know I heard like something about the, um, what was it? The doodle jump or, or scribble. I think last year, um, this past year we did, um, it was this little snake game where a snake um, kind of weaves around the screen. Mm-hmm. You got a little guy at the bottom trying to shoot the snake. And if you hit the snake three times you win or something. Um, They've done Doodle Jump in the past, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, 
they'll teach you a lot of assembly. But what I found is that don't try to overcomplicate the final project. I think I got I think I got 100% on the final. I'm not quite sure. But I uh, towards the end I kind of st- stopped going to lecture. Um highly rec- <laughs> I don't I don't recommend it. Um I would recommend going to lecture, but I I didn't um there was they certainly got a bit deeper into assembly than what you needed for the final project. And I would say get a strong, strong grasp of the basics and make those work for you as far as you can. And that would be um, just learning. You're going to use something called registers, which are essentially, you have a you have a fixed number of variables that you can use in any one, I'll call it a function. It's just a block of assembly code. Um, and those are enumerated. Um, so you have to keep track of them and make sure you're not overwriting data that you need on a register. Um, but fig- like all you really need is to learn how, um, how the event loop works, um, which is probably going to be for, for any final project for assembly, there's going to be a loop of events happening. And on each loop, it runs through the assembly code that you've right. written and then jumps back to the start. Okay. So like, and up, up, updates the state as it goes. Yeah, so like a running method, essentially. Yeah, it just repeats. It's a it's essentially an infinite loop, and state keeps updating and updating. You can you can set a stopping condition. Um, so once you understand that, uh, you got to also understand how to jump between blocks of assembly code uh, with jump statements, and that's essentially equivalent to making a function call. Um, but you're not really passing data into the function. You are saving data to a register, um, and then and then jumping to a function, and then using that data in that f- function. It's not really a function, but it's just a block of assembly code. Right. Um, and once you can do that, jump around to different things. The rest is just basic adding and and subtracting, and you might have to get a little bit creative and um, think outside the box for how you're doing certain things. Um, but yeah, just like they'll, they'll go pretty in depth and do a lot of stuff, which is good to know if you're going to be writing assembly code, I can't imagine anyone would get an internship where they're writing assembly code, <laughs> but if, if that's your life, I'm praying for you. <laughs> no, but I, I, I did, I did watch a, a YouTube video of like a, computer science uh youtuber interviewing like a um an ex facebook or some sort of some sort of like um fang uh, employee and they were like the number two or the, the two languages that every computer scientist needs to know are c and assembly and i was like huh that's convenient because those are two courses. Yeah, that's that's a lie. That is not true. <laughs> well, no, they don't say like it's, it's, it, um... I mean, they're great to know. And it's like, I'd say if there's one language you should learn as a computer scientist, it would be Python. That's really all you need for computer. Well, people like Lisp as well, if you're getting into like the functional space, but that's silly. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are cool things to know. And it's important to know where we came from to kind of understand where we are now. 
Um, but like, I don't know. I think you, uh, mo- you, sh- you should try to stay more uh, practically minded. Like, like think about application rather than just well, like um, knowing the concepts. Because like the amount that assembly code relates to C. Well, I got to be careful with what I say here. It's like you're you're thinking in two different parts of your brain, basically, and um, because the computer science concepts that you'll learn for higher level programming languages um, are very different from the computer science concepts that you'll learn from lower level pr- programming languages. Um, in one case, with the lower level programming languages, you're you're learning how the computer thinks about the um, the code you're running. And then at the higher level, you're thinking about like, why am I writing code this way? And uh, what's the best way to organize this data structure or, or set well, up this I algorithm? I think that's, that's the main which, reason why he said they yeah. were two, the, number, the two essential languages to learn is because in order, like it's very easy it's easier to pick up Python than it is to pick up C or assembly because Python is very like easy to read, very understandable, um, very functional. But, uh, on the other hand, C is very much more comp, much more complicated as, as you can see with what we explained about, um, uh, I'm blanking here, like pointers, processor processes, and then assembly code. Although I don't, I don't know too much of assembly code, uh, I do know it's like the building blocks of what a computer actually does. Um, yeah, well, I mean... So I think that's where their point was coming from. I guess it kind of depends what you're considering to be kind of the foundation of computer science. Is, is computer science rooted in computers or is it rooted in math? No. Right? Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. no. I, I, did, did, I say, did I say it was the foundations of computer no, what science? No, I, what I just mean is uh, this guy on the, on the, the podcast you mentioned um, saying that that assembly and C are the two most important for computer science. I would not say that it for computer science specifically, that these are like the most important uh, part of the field. I forgot to mention that I don't know if he said computer science, but I'm <laughs> with 85% certainty of my AI model that I am speaking <laughs> correct facts. Um, yeah. What I would say is just like, um, you're going to like, there's a lot of technicality that goes into these lower level programming languages and you're, you're doing a lot of the work. You're doing a lot more work to um, kind of implement computer science concepts than it would take in Python. And that's why I would say Python is, is better for computers. I shouldn't even say better. It's like more representative of the, idea the idea of learning computer science like learning sure. about um how to structure Data information yeah. runtime analysis okay yes i got you that 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 i that i do agree with because i i 100 agree with the philosophy that computer science is um it's rooted in like it's it's not about the computers it's, root, it's not about you can do computer science without writing a single line of code um that is true um, so it's, it's separate from computer pro- programming and computer language or programming languages. Um, hence pseudocode because pseudocode is, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that about sums it up for 258, don't you think? Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else I should mention that would prepare you. It's it it's a great it's it's a great course to do in person and it's it builds on itself nicely, so it's it makes learning very easy and kind of explorative, especially because of the tutorials. Um, so I think anyone who takes this course will will have a great time, and I think it is required, right? It's um, for the CS major, it is required and spec. Uh, however, uh, this course be prepared because I've heard that a it's very long and the assignments can get quite complicated. Um, I believe my lecture time for this year is five hours of lecture plus one hour tutorial or something like that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You can start to understand why I stopped going to lecture towards the end. Um, it's like, I think they spend more, well, it, it's going to be different for every person, but for me, they spent, um, a lot of time on concepts that they didn't need to spend so much time on um, in order to like understand the foundation of, of what you're learning. You didn't have to spend quite so much time on certain uh, aspects of a topic. Um, I'm not saying don't go to lecture. You should definitely go to lecture, but um, yeah, that, that uh, like, imagine if you did five hours a week of like one, six, five, like that would be brutal. But for, um, for uh, two fifty eight, it's um, it's not quite that uh, that intense. Yeah, one six. Would you say that it's more of a just a, more of an adjustment for students coming into one six five from high school than it is from students going into two five eight from no hardware experience? One hundred percent. Yeah, I would say because yeah, you start like people generally have an idea of what a transistor is and you know how logic gates work because of previous courses. And so it'll start with that and it'll teach you the hardware version of concepts you already know. And so it, it gets you off to a bit of a, a running start and then you'll start kind of seeing things that relate to other courses and it'll, um, it's very, it's very easy to pick up. Um, yeah, no, I think everyone who takes it will have a good time and, and enjoy it, especially in person. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about 258, unless you have anything to add. Uh, no, no, you, you answered a lot of my questions that I was interested in and I'm very much looking forward to, toward the course or to take the course rather. Um, but yeah, I think that about sums up all the, all the second year episodes that we talked about. Yeah, we, we got through 207. Uh, 236, 209, 258, and 263. Yeah, that those would be, I guess those are all the required courses for the major and the specialist. Um, it's, a, it's a fun year if you make it a fun year, you know? <laughs> Try to, I think a lot of times uh, throughout the year, you'll be like, why am I learning this? Um, but... You definitely, it's some important perspective and really the, the, why am I learning this will mostly apply to like the lower level stuff. Um, but yeah, just try, try your best to enjoy that stuff. And I'm sure most people will, um, 
it wasn't my favorite part of the year, but uh, I'm sure for a lot of people that that really gets them excited and uh, it's good. I'd say my favorite course out of all of them was two, three, six. Well, I haven't taken two, five, eight or two, six, three yet, but two, three, six was definitely one like my favorite out of the three that I took. Yeah, I think I think two, six, three was my favorite. So I'm excited that you get to go through that for the first time. And uh, it's like, I feel like for two, three, six, it's a lot of stress on the assignments. Um, but for two, six, three, much more explorative and you see things kind of unravel in front of you. It unfolds and, and you, you'll start to look at how you write code and, and how you structure things differently. Oh, and definitely very rewarding. I bet (laughs) you were mentioning about like internships with two, six, three and how like it definitely helped you in the interview process. So I, I bet for sure. All right. Well that, uh, that concludes Um, our episode for, um, the second year guide to computer science. I, uh, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed the episode for all the second years. I hope you enjoy the year. Um, if we made any mistakes or things that you, uh, think should be corrected and how we phrase things in these courses, feel free to drop them on the discord. Um, uh, I'm certain that we got a few concepts a bit wrong. <laughs> um, but probably, you know, it's we're like it. a couple of months removed from this. So all right, give, give us a break. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next time. Um, thanks for joining. Uh, stay safe out there.